Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here and being a part of our time together as we have celebrated Jesus Christ as Lord and King of our life. I'm so glad that you've tuned in this morning to be with the family of God. And although we're not located in one place, we are scattered house churches all across this nation and indeed around the world. We have hundreds that are joining us this morning online to celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for all that he's done for us. Truly, we have life and life in the abundance because of what he's done for us. And so my hope is that whether you're sitting around the kitchen table or maybe in your living room, that you have joined us in the praise team in song, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ, giving glory to all that he's done for us as we've gathered around the Lord's table to celebrate uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. What a joy it is to know that we have life and life so abundantly because of what he has done for us. We celebrate him not only today, but every single day. And in just a few moments, we'll dig into his word to discover how the Holy Spirit is going to encourage us this week in our journey and in the weeks to come as well. So this morning, if you've got a Bible close to you, I hope that you'd get that open to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be there in just a few moments, and our text will be surely at the bottom of your screen as well. I do want to take a moment to do as I have every Sunday since we have kind of been uh, sequestered in our homes, that you guys continue to be incredible beacons of light, looking like Jesus in lots of different ways, wherever you found yourself, whether that's just at home with your kids and making sure that they're taken care of, or you've reached out to neighbors that are around you, maybe in your workplace, you've offered hope in a world of darkness as we currently are working through this crisis together. The stories keep coming in about how you're attending to people, you're making those phone calls, you're texting those who may need a word of affirmation and checking on as the week has rolled through. And I want to say thank you so much for looking like Jesus in the way that you have behaved, the way you have lived life, the words that are coming out of your mouth. Thank you for being that person that God has called you to be. And we also want to say just for a moment, thank you for your continued generosity as you continue giving online, because while we're not meeting in this location, our mission still goes on. We are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and we want to make sure those ministry and mission points continue to happen. And so your online giving continues to help support our missionaries around the world, our mission points, and certainly right here in our own metro city area as we continue to help families who find themselves in uh, sometimes a hopeless spot. Some have lost their jobs, some have uh, downsized their working hours, and so they're wondering how they're going to put food on the table for the kids, how they're going to take care of that electric bill. And the list goes on of ways that you're helping uh, families in need right now. And we want to say, again, thank you for your continued generosity through this process. You know, uh, this past weekend, we moved our youngest son, Garrett, uh, into his new uh, rental property in Midlothian, Texas. He started April 1st working for a church, uh, Creekside Church, there in Midlothian. He's uh, the youth minister there, and we want to just say thank you to the Creekside family for all that you're doing to make him feel welcome and settling him in. We're so glad for the work that you're doing in Midlothian to share the message of Jesus Christ. And so blessings on your leadership team and your church family there, and we'd ask uh, those that are watching this morning, that you'd pray for that church family and Garrett as he begins starting his brand new ministry. Well, today we're going to start a brand new series called Emoji. And the reason why I picked this uh, direction to go over the next few weeks 
is because I know if you're like me, you're experiencing a lot of emotions right now, and you're wondering how that fits into your walk with Christ and maybe how Jesus even looks at you feeling some of the things that you're feeling in life. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to really dig into each one of these and really unpack it using Scripture to talk about how do we deal with the emotions we're feeling as we follow Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about what it means to, to be stressed. We're going to talk about feeling tired. We're, we're going to even address being angry in the moment. There are lots of little pieces that you're going to want to make sure to tune in for for the weeks to come as we work through this current crisis uh, together. But you know, God has blessed us so immensely, hasn't he? We are such a blessed people, even in this current situation we find ourselves in. I know if you're like me, you continue to be able to smile because of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And we want to share that feeling with those around us and be a non-anxious presence. We want to be people that just exude Jesus Christ in all that we do and we say. And so as we jump in this morning to this series called Emoji, I want to talk about the idea that for most of us that were raised in a faith, uh, in a Christian home, if you will, most of us were raised to kind of give that pat answer I'm fine. When you're asked how things are going, I'm fine. Are you feeling okay? Yes, I'm okay. And the list goes on about how we're responding to people asking us how we're feeling. Well, what I know is that you have been closed up, you have been shut up, you have eaten up, you have uh, stayed up, you have spent up, and now you are fed up, but, but I'm fine, right? <laughs> if you're like me, you feel all of those things, but when asked, you might respond, I'm fine. And, and if you're really spiritual, you might say, I'm really blessed. I mean, I mean, if you really get into it, right? And sometimes we, we don't believe that living this spiritual life is, is truly a place to be honest and vulnerable about the way that we feel. And so this series is going to be a great way to unpack some of those ideas and then how we live that out while we're following Jesus. Now, I want to take just a moment to talk to the men in our audience because what I heard was this incredible groan from the male population saying, oh, we're going to talk about our emotions over the next few weeks. I'm not sure that I'm ready to tune in for that. Well, let me just say, if you're actually saying that, then you probably need this maybe more than anybody else. It's a moment for us to be real with each other, to be honest about how we're feeling, and, and to, to say it's okay not to have all the answers, and to be a little anxious about how life is working out right now, what's going on in your own home life. It's so important that we realize that we've got emotions, and sometimes we're questioning where those are even coming from. And I want to say, this crisis is going to pass. There's going to be a moment in time, as Steve mentioned earlier, when we're going to get together in one location on a Sunday morning and be able to hug and ask each other how we're doing and just kind of be in proximity to each other. And what a day of Jubilee that will be. I know I will be excited for it. But for some of us, when we get back to some semblance of normalcy, 
I want to encourage you, if you're feeling lonely and despondent and discouraged and sad and conflicted, and the list goes on about things that you might be feeling, we've got a great ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. CR is a terrific place to get plugged into to kind of discover why you have some of the hang-ups and habits that you might be experiencing in life. It's a great moment once a week to get together with people who are like-minded who are trying to follow Jesus the very best they can, but it's a safe place to come together and be vulnerable, be honest about how you're feeling in life. And in our particular tribe, in our particular fellowship, faith and feelings have not always been included in the same sentence. Some of us were raised in a, in a world where faith meant that you were stoic and you just kind of pulled your bootstraps up and you moved forward and you really didn't talk about how you felt in the moment. Maybe you grew up at a home that said, well, if you're unhappy, then get happy. If you've got a frown, then turn it upside down and turn it into a smile. If you're anxious, well, don't feel that way. We've all been trained really to say we're fine when maybe we really don't feel like that, especially right now. So if I really do feel like that, how in the world do I fix it? How do I work through those emotions that are kind of ringing out maybe differently than I was raised to feel? Well, I want us as people of God, as people who claim to follow a risen Savior, who've looked into the empty tomb and said, praise God, we have life and life in the abundant. I want us to be emotionally secure in how we live life out, moving forward in Jesus Christ. And so over the next few weeks, I want to dig into the life of David and some of the Psalms. Because David seemed to have some handle on what we're trying to do as people of God. Now, now we hear the word David, that name, and we think, oh man, mighty king of Israel, someone who had it all together. He was an incredible warrior, run to the battle line. He's the guy that killed Goliath. Uh, he knew about armory and using weaponry. As a matter of fact, he had a hundred mighty men that were fighting for him. He was the guy, the leader of that group. You got to be quite a guy to handle a hundred mighty men. We think of that kind of masculine dude, David. But he also was a guy that wrote music, poetry, seemed to be in tune with his emotions, and didn't mind expressing how he felt to God through some of the Psalms. And so we want to dig into that and discover what that might mean for us. Now, I know last week was Easter, and we haven't yet moved quite past that. And so I want to take a moment just today to move back to that story for a moment. I, I want to be there for just a, a moment today, and then we'll move into the Psalms beginning next week. Because Matthew 26 is an incredible illustration of how Jesus Christ handled emotion. I mean, he was 100% God. He was the Son of God. There's no question. He was divine, but he was also 100% human. And in watching his life, in looking at how he lived, we better understand how we as human beings can interpret what goes on in our life and how we live that out. I mean, we tend to think that believing does not include really expressing emotional value. But we look at the life of Jesus and we see something totally different. There's been a lot of studies on the life of Jesus and the emotive states that he uh, existed throughout his life. One particular uh, 
data entry uh, research was that he had 39 different emotions. Now, I know some of you on the other end of the camera are thinking, there are 39 emotions? I didn't know we had that many. Now, if you've got daughters living at home, you know you've got those plus some more than likely. But we're moving through these emotions and understanding better how to deal with what's going on. When you take a look at the life of Jesus, I mean, Jesus was delighted at the centurion who stopped him for a miracle. He was sad as he overlooked Jerusalem. He was angry with the religious leaders of his day. He wept when his friend died. He was joyful at the 72 disciples coming back home. He, was, he had shame for the sin in the world, not his own, but the sin that existed in the world. He was a person who was encouraged and discouraged. He was a, a leader who was both loved and felt loneliness in the moment. You see, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see emotions not as a sign of weakness, but really an exclamation point on humanness. If you are created in the image of God, if you are a human, then you're going to have emotion in your life. And it's not about whether emotions are right or wrong, but it's really what do we do with them when we have them? When we're trying to follow Jesus and we have whatever type of emotion might be in your life right at this moment, what do we do with them? You see, our English word emotion comes from the Latin word emover, which means to move. And so God has placed emotion in our life to move us. But where is the question? Where does God want us to be? And no doubt, if you're anything like me, you've been at a crossroads in life before where you've had some experience and you had to make a decision what to do, how to move forward. Do I move to a different place that's going to require change? Or do I risk isolation and remain the same? And you've had to make a decision on direction to go based upon relationships and emotions that you are experiencing in the moment. And what I think about emotions is that it's, it's a moment something created within us to move us actually closer to God. No matter what type of emotion that you're experiencing, it's a way for us to move closer to God. I find emotions as an opportunity to become a more mature follower of Christ. And if we live that out, just like Jesus did in his own life, then we're going to find that we're going to get closer and closer to our creator as we get older and older. Now, our, our text today comes from Matthew chapter 26. Before we get to that actual text, I want to set the scene up just for a moment. It's the last night that Jesus is free before he's arrested. And so he is celebrating the Passover meal with the disciples in the upper room. And so this meal takes anywhere from two to three hours. There's a lot of storytelling that happens around that dining room table. They eat together. They drink together. They laugh together. They sing. They quote scripture. They talk about the day's events and what might lie in the future. It's the very night that Jesus washes all the disciples' feet. Even in that party, Judas leaves early from the party in order that he can set up the betrayal of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, late at night, they leave that upper room and they walk through the dark streets of Jerusalem, out the city gate, across the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, into an area where there is an olive press. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And right around the corner, Jesus has on his mind his imminent death 
and all the things that he's going to go through before he actually dies on the cross. It's an incredibly intense moment for Jesus. He's got a lot of emotion going on here in the dead of night right before he's arrested. So let's read our story, Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The Gospels, all four of them, give some indication of this moment happening. Luke's particular Gospel is interesting because Luke is a physician. And so he understands the physicality of what Jesus is going through in the moment. It's an interesting prognosis that Luke gives in Luke chapter 22. Because he says that Jesus is going through some physical symptoms because of the anxiety that he feels in the moment. He's going through this thing that we call hermatotrosis. It's when the capillaries near your sweat glands burst and the blood trickles into those pores and then mixes with your sweat. And Luke says those drops of bloody sweat are dripping onto the ground. Most people, after this happens, goes into shock. But the point is that Jesus was overwhelmed with what was in front of him, what was going to happen in the next few moments and hours of his life. Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Now, what I want you to hear in this moment is that my hope is as you see Jesus in this context, that it frees you from the pressure that a lot of Christianity puts on us to be perfect, to to realize that we don't have it all together and it's okay to talk about that. It's okay to express that. Are you feeling overwhelmed right now with the current crisis that's in front of us? With the hubby being home all the time now or trying to teach that math lesson one more time to the kids or or wondering how you're going to get groceries into the house with your reduced hours? The list goes on about things that you could be overwhelmed with right now. But you know what Jesus says? I know exactly what you're going through right now. He knows what it feels like to be overwhelmed. And getting that theology right totally changes the way that we, as Christ followers, can process our feelings in day-to-day events of our life. Now, here at Crosspoint, we've become very generational, and I'm always excited every Sunday morning. We probably have anywhere from three to four different generation groups in this room uh, as we worship together. We've got babies all the way up to 90-year-olds and everything in between. But the bulk of everybody really falls into two different generational groups that I want to address this morning. One group is not necessarily worse off than the next, but we certainly were raised differently when it comes to emotions. Now, I was born towards the end of the boomer generation, and so that's who I want to talk about first. You see, boomers were taught emotional avoidance 
In other words, we're not going to air our dirty laundry. We're not going to talk about anything that we're really feeling right now. If you're anxious, upset, you just kind of figure out a way to deal with it. You kind of stuff it down. And if emotional avoidance is the way that you operate in life, know that it will catch up to you. Anything that you try to stuff down within yourself has a very high rate of resurrection. It will come out again. And so for some of you, as you think about things that you've stuffed over time, you may have questions like, why do I drink all the time? Or why when I'm stressed do I always go to pornography? Or why do I eat all the time? Or why don't I eat at all? Or why do I go on the shopping sprees? Why do I scream and yell at the people that I claim I love the most? Well, the Bible is clear that what goes in the heart comes out of the heart. And so as we try to live this emotional state out, how we were raised and trained to do, we tend to stuff that stuff rather than talking about it and being honest about what our feelings are. The generation right behind us or the, the Gen X group or the millennials, they were kind of uh, taught emotional indulgence. It's this idea that you feel your feelings. You just kind of express how you feel to everyone around you. Whatever feels right, then that's what's right for you in the moment. I mean, your identification really is in your desire to fulfill how you're feeling in the moment. And no matter who's around, they can take it or leave it. You're going to express how you feel in the moment. Now, I want to say, too, that for both generations and, frankly, all generations— that I think our emotions are really a gauge. It's meant to, to get our attention when we have an heightened emotional state, whether that's for the good or what we might feel is the negative. But it's a way to get our attention so that we can move toward and look more like Jesus in the moment. Now, my guess is that probably most of us watching drive a vehicle, and if you've been driving any amount of time, you've probably had that moment where you're driving down the road and the check engine light comes on. That is the car telling you that something's not quite right under the hood. You need to get that checked out by a professional mechanic, have somebody look at it, because things are not going to go well if you choose to ignore it. Case in point, uh, a few weeks ago, we went to Arkansas in my mom's car, and we were coming back home. About two hours outside of Grand Prairie, the battery light came on, the check engine light came on, all the lights started blinking vigorously all over. I wasn't sure what was going on, so I pulled over to the side of the road. We lost all power, had to get towed into Grand Prairie, of course discovered that the alternator had gone bad. But if you don't use your senses and when that check engine light comes on, kind of attend to what's going on, you're going to be in trouble. Our emotions are like our check engine light. It's a moment when we feel anxious or we feel despondent or sad or angry and upset. It's a moment for us to kind of check what's going on under the hood. And Jesus models for us how to release our feelings to God so that he can make us new. It's an incredible moment as we dig into this short story that we've just read. The three things that I think Jesus tells us that we can do right now in our life to help relieve some of the feeling that we might be having in our own life. I mean, if you take a look at verse 38, we find out the very first thing is this, that Jesus is vulnerable with his closest friends. 
Jesus talks to those that are with him and, and asks him to be in prayer with him. Now, it wasn't weakness to reveal that to his friends, but rather it was a position of strength. And notice that Jesus didn't do it with all 12 disciples. He really pulled aside three of them to let them know, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. This is where my, my emotional state is right now. And I want you to join with me and journey with me in this moment. He pulls aside Peter, James, and John to pray with him about what's going on in his life. And in your life too, you should have three or four people that you're willing to journey with, people you can be absolutely honest with, that you can be absolutely vulnerable with and say, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is the anxious piece of my spirit. This is what I'm worried and concerned about. This is where I can't see the horizon. You have those three or four people around you that will pray with you, journey with you, affirm you, and remind you about what God is doing in your life. Now, also I want to point out that he doesn't reveal it to all 12 disciples, and neither should you. You should not reveal how you're feeling to everybody on the block, everybody that you know, which brings me to social media for just one moment. Some of you are letting all of that out for the world to know where, you, where you're at, what you think, how you're feeling, and that's probably not the healthiest way for someone who claims to follow Jesus to be functioning. I mean, we want to look like Jesus. And as we look at this story, what we see is somebody who's incredibly humble, who wants to be inclusive and, and pull in his very closest friends to journey with him where he's at. Someone that has no pride about where he's at emotionally and willing to let other people know. It's a position of strength that Jesus shows us in this story. He says to those three, I am absolutely overwhelmed Stay here with me. And you and I need to have people in our life that we can call on at a drop of a hat who will stay with us in the moment. And unfortunately, many of us get to this position in our life and we simply want to isolate. We want to run away. We want to be by ourselves. We don't need to be with anyone else. And there are moments in our life where that's absolutely okay. Jesus did that in his own ministry as well. But what we need to think about in moments where we need strength and affirmation and encouragement, find those three or four people in your life that you can be vulnerable with and tell them how you're feeling. The second thing we find in our story is that Jesus prioritizes his faith over his feelings. Jesus aligns his feelings with what God wants in his life. Take a look at verse 39. He says, it's not what I want, God, but what you want in my life. God, it's not how I feel, but how you want. And so many of us today, we kind of have this idea that, well, if this is how you feel, then it must be right. It must be the right thing to do if that's how you're feeling and that's your emotive state. But you may feel like punching a hole in the wall. You may feel sorry for yourself. You may feel like staying in bed all day long. You may feel like avoiding social settings. You may feel lonely in your marriage. You may feel like getting a divorce. You may feel like running up the debt on your credit card as you're kind of locked in your house and you've only got internet access. But where is that feeling going to take you? As followers of Christ, that's the question you and I have to ask uh, ourselves. Where's the feeling going to take you? Because just because you feel it's real doesn't mean that it's true. 
I'm going to say that again. Just because you feel it's real doesn't mean that it's true. Case in point. I've had a lot of great relationships over my life and continue to have great relationships with my colleagues, other ministers, friends around the world. But there have been moments where I have felt a a friend, someone that I trusted and enjoyed being with, kind of stiff-arming me, keeping me at a distance, not talking to me. And I became paranoid and thought I'd done something wrong, made them upset and mad. And when I finally got enough guts to ask them about it, I discovered that, no, that they were maybe having a marriage issue or they were having some financial problem. They were trying to figure out how to resolve it. It had nothing to do with me. What I felt was real was not true. And it's the same in our life as well. And so it's a cause we read the story to get honest with God about our emotions and then align how we feel with what God wants for us in our life. And so in our story, we see that Jesus comes into the garden and he is absolutely overwhelmed with emotion and anxiety. And Jesus spends one to three hours in prayer and then the soldiers show up, but then he's resolute. Something has changed in the moments that he's been praying to his heavenly father. He's not on his face anymore, but he's standing up strong and resolute because now he's placed his feelings in the heart of his father. His faith has now overridden how he's felt in the moment, which really brings us to our third moment. As we read this story, what we, re- what we find is that Jesus pours out his feelings to his heavenly father. He's in prayer often with his heavenly father. And he pours out how he feels in verse 39. He starts out, my father. In the gospel of Mark, Mark uses a different word, Abba, which is a much more intimate address that Jesus uses. It's more like saying, daddy. It's this idea that he's absolutely pouring himself out to his heavenly father, exerting exactly, this is how I feel. This is what's going on in my heart. This is what's happening in my life. And we realize that we process our feelings as we pray to our Heavenly Father. Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed. And so this morning, it's a question that we have for ourselves. Right now, what does that look like for you in your life? How are you overwhelmed? Maybe in your own life right now, you could say, Father, I am so stressed. Or... Father, I'm really angry about what's happening around us. Or, or, Father, I've just had enough of being locked down and locked away, not having a job. The list goes on about things you may have had enough of. Maybe right now you're saying, Father, I'm so physically tired and exhausted. Or, Father, I'm, I'm really sad about the death that's happened around the world because of this virus. Father, I'm very anxious about what's on the horizon and in the future for me and my family. Father, I'm, I'm so disappointed in how I've acted this past week toward those that I claim to love so very much. Father, I'm so very lonely in the moment. And I want you to hear me as we talk about praying to our Heavenly Father that God wants to redeem those emotions but he can only redeem what you're willing to release to him. And and that's our challenge today, church, for many of us to, to let our emotions stop ruling us and for us to let Jesus in so that he rules us. 
I mean, it's a moment for us to realize and recognize we have an emotional state. We're human beings. But as we look at the story of Jesus, that we realize and lean into the idea that that we are called to be vulnerable with our closest friends. Invite them into your story. Tell them how you're feeling. Let them encourage you and pray for you in this moment of crisis. That, That we really put our faith before our feelings in what's going on in life around you. And finally, we pour out those emotions to our Heavenly Father, asking Him to bless us and redeem those emotions for His glory. And so this morning, may you, may you reach out and feel the Holy Spirit working in your life. May you feel and see Jesus Christ as he embraces you in this moment of of anxiousness and worry, that you know he's got the, the future in his hands and we're to trust him. May you develop the kind of prayer life that Jesus had, where you're constantly in tune with the Heavenly Father, reaching out to Him and relying on Him to change who you are. May you feel Jesus' presence like you've never done before. My hope and my prayer is that we will reach out and celebrate the hope of all hopes, that is Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the risen Savior. And so we give our life to Him in everything, including our emotive state. May you love Him and express Him in ways maybe you've never done before this week and the weeks to come. Know that He wants to bless you. He loves you. He wants to redeem you. And so may our life express that in every possible way. Blessings to you this week on your journey.